Hello, and welcome to the first episode of Sea to Shining Sea, a podcast on the American Discovery Trail, the first coast-to-coast non-motorized trail across the United States of America. My name is Dave Whitson, and I leave later today in early August 2019 to take my first steps on the American Discovery Trail. Before I go, though, I wanted to get this first episode posted to give people a taste of what's to come later in the fall and to help people in my life get a better sense of what the heck I'm doing. The odds are pretty good that you haven't heard of the American Discovery Trail. It doesn't have the brand recognition of the Appalachian Trail or the Pacific Crest Trail, America's two most popular long-distance treks. But it's a route that you should learn about. Whereas those are wilderness treks, intentionally avoiding encounters with urban areas, the ADT actively seeks out towns and cities as part of the representative cross-section of the U.S. that it lends access to. Another big difference is that, whereas those run north-south or south-north, the ADT is a coast-to-coast trek linking Cape Enlopen, Delaware with Point Reyes, California, or perhaps more meaningfully, Washington, D.C. and San Francisco. All told, a through-hike of the American Discovery Trail spans roughly 5,000 miles, though it actually includes 7,000 miles of tracks as it offers two different approaches through the Midwest between Cincinnati and Denver. I'll be starting on the southern approach through the Midwest before flying to Delaware in late February to begin the full-fledged through-hike. To properly introduce the American Discovery Trail, this episode centers on interviews with a few trailblazers of the route. First, I speak with Eric Seaborg, who was part of the initial route scouting trip in 1990, and today serves as president of the ADT's executive committee. Then, I interview Ken and Marsha Powers, also known by their trail name, Gotta Walk. Ken and Marsha were the first hikers to complete a continuous thru-hike of the ADT back in 2005, and they all have some great stories to share. So that's the plan. First Eric, then Ken and Marsha. Welcome to Sea to Shining Sea and the American Discovery Trail, everybody. I hope you enjoy. Eric Seaborg is president of the American Discovery Trails Executive Committee, and he's the co-author of American Discoveries, scouting the first coast-to-coast recreational trail with his co-author, Ellen Dudley. And he's essentially the co-creator of the the whole thing, the whole American Discovery Trail, and he joins me now to talk about it. Thanks for joining me, Eric. Oh, thanks for inviting me. It's uh, it's awesome to have you here, and um, I want to talk through the the whole experience with you, the the planning of the original walk, what it was like, and and then where we are today. So we'll start by going back to the beginning. Where did this all come from? Where did the idea of the American Discovery Trail originate? Well, I guess you would say that it started with an event that the American Hiking Society sponsored around 1980 that was called Hike a Nation. And it was uh, just a hike across the country in which about, uh, well, thousands of people participated in one way or another along the way, but there was a core group of several dozen that actually walked all the way across the country. And the idea of the event was just to um, dramatize the need for hiking trails. You know, hiking trails have been disappearing over time since... um, uh, uh, since World War II. Mm-hmm. Um, and the, but the other reason for East-West Trail is if you look at um, a map of the long-distance hiking trails, 
they generally, like the Appalachian Trail, the Pacific Crest Trail, and Continental Divide Trail, they go north to south. And so there was really a need for a trail that went east to west, and also there was just no trail that went coast to coast. So it was um, American Discovery Trail was designed to meet that need. And how did you get involved in the project as that idea developed? Well, I had been, during the 1980s, I'd been a president of the American Hiking Society, so I'd been involved with AHS for a long time. And um, American Discovery Trail actually started as a proposal that Backpacker Magazine brought to AHS, and I was at the first meeting where they were, um, Backpacker was pitching this idea to AHS, and um, so when 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 Backpacker brought up the idea that there was going to be this scouting team that would go out across the country and scout the route, um, people looked to me and said, "Gee, Eric, why don't you join the team?" Because I was a I'm, I was and am a freelance writer, and people you know take that to mean, "Well, you don't have a real job, so you can just go <laughs> and do stuff like that." Um, and, <laughs> and as it turned out, I guess they were right. <laughs> that's uh, that's really funny. How? How did it go then? I mean, I'm just trying to imagine the the challenge of mapping this out. I mean, you you know you're going east to west or west to east, that it's going to go across the continent in that direction. How do you even begin to figure out what that route is going to look like, what the starting and end points are going to be? What what was that process, and, and how did you arrive at the route that exists today? Ooh, you know, that's a, that's a, that's a good question, and... <laughs> First of all, the, in the big, in the biggest, most general sense, it was just like, well, you look at a map, you look at the, you look at a map of the country, and right across the middle, you got um, San Francisco and Washington D.C. Mm. kind of centered north to south in the country, and so I guess people's eyes went straight to, okay, let's tie those together. You know, I should say I talked about the hiking nation earlier. And an interesting aspect is that my father was actually involved in that, and he just happened to be at an early meeting of the American Hiking Society where they were planning this coast-to-coast route, and they were talking about starting it in um, Los Angeles. And he lived in the San Francisco Bay Area and was an avid hiker and wanted to support the project, and so he said, well, if you start the trail in San Francisco or thereabouts, I'll plan the route through California. And so everybody, you know, immediately <laughs> jumped on that jumped on that offer. And he 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 was he was pretty well known, a famous scientist anyway. So you know, it was like he had his he had his credibility that brought along. And so uh, I guess that kind of answers part of the question of you know where it started. It, they want, we wanted it to go through Washington, I think, just as a political thing. Is this or? I'm not sure if political is the right thing, maybe a patriotic thing that it should go through the nation's capital was kind of a kind of a cool aspect of the trail if you could figure that out. And so, you know, you just you just draw a line across the country to, to connect the two and, and you see the states, you know, that are in between. The planning was done mostly by Backpacker magazine and I didn't have all that much involvement in it, and their their idea was to call people in each state and uh, put together a committee that would plan the route through the state, and so that's the basic way that, that the route came through. 
Um, and interestingly enough, the the original route had it going kind of across a more on the, on the Midwest. What the states that are now what we call the northern route. There's two th- there's two routes of the ADT through the Midwest. And originally they had been talked about going through the northern route, but just as we were getting ready to go, came this great opportunity called the Katy Trail, which is a wonderful rail trail that goes you know most of the way through Missouri. And that was just announced that it was going to be developed and had the backing by about a two million dollar donation from from one individual. And so that's kind of what caught the eye of going along the southern route, and that's why the team followed the route through um, Kansas and Missouri in the southern parts of Illinois and Indiana. And then it was it was later on that the kind of the states that I'm not sure if getting left out is the right <laughs> is the right way to describe it, but the the states that thought they were going to be on the route but then ended up not being on the route, they made a pitch that, hey, you know, we want to be on the route too. And that's how it came to be that there's this section through the middle of the country where there's actually a a southern option and a northern option. I've long wondered that. So um, that's great to hear how that originated. And that makes a lot of sense. So let's fast forward then from the planning stage to the initiation of that original walk. And unlike most through hikers today, where they would start in Delaware and walk west, you and Ellen set out from Point Reyes in June in California. (laughs) What was that like? I mean, this is the first journey on what you are hoping at that moment will become an established route. And you had all kinds of uncertainty in front of you. Do you remember what was going through your mind and, and what you were thinking on that sunny June day? Oh, on the first day, it was just—it was just a beautiful day, and so it was just this sense of adventure and anticipation and wanting to find out what's around the next bend. So it was just kind of a—it was kind of a happiness and a feeling of being very fortunate to be a, a part of this project. Yeah, it was—it was happiness, really. What was the dynamic like in your group in the early days? Because you—it it had just sort of—it had been assembled pretty quickly, right? Yeah, we we really didn't know each other. Um, well, I shouldn't say that. I knew Ellen, um, yeah. and then the other the other person on the team was a guy named Bruce Franks, who was from Backpacker. And Bruce had actually done most of the groundwork for it. He'd written a large proposal, to laying out this is what the trail will be like. He'd done a whole lot of work on it, and and kind of organizing a lot of the details of of getting the expedition going. In your account, uh, American Discoveries and. Just as a short tangent, it's a great read, and especially for anyone who's thinking about the route and is interested in the history and how it came to be. And one of the most striking things to me in reading through your your and Ellen's narrative is just how often it seemed like this thing was about to crash and burn. <laughs> and <laughs> maybe that's an exaggeration, but it does seem like it was imperiled at regular points through the 13-month scouting process. Um, first, am I mischaracterizing it? But second, like, how, could you describe some of the challenges that you faced as you were crossing the country over this time span? You know, I guess we never thought it was really going to fall apart, <laughs> although I guess you, I, I understand why you could, why you could think that. I, I would say the number one problem was that it just took a lot longer than had been originally envisioned. It was thought it was going to be, you know, a nine-month trip, and then it turned into like uh, 14 or 15 months. And so it just was harder to 
keep a team together for for that much time. Um, Ellen and I ended up going the whole way together, but we know we had I don't know three or four different team members for different times, depending on how you you know count people as team members. And um, it was just harder to organize than was anticipated. I mean, there were committees who, whose job it was to try to map out the route, and there was a person working at Backpacker that was trying to put together these committees, and it turned out to be a, big, a bigger challenge than we, than we thought. And also, they weren't given a lot of time to, you know, study this and, and, and put it together. So I'd say those, those were kind of the biggest problems. Peter Spires, who was one of the people behind it uh, at Backpacker, who was the publisher at Backpacker at the time, said, you know, he thinks there's kind of a couple different ways of doing things, and one is that you can study things to death, and then you never actually get it started because you're trying to get it so perfect, or you just go out and you do it, and, you know, you, you, you may come out with problems and flaws and whatever, but you actually come out with something, and that's... <laughs> It was kind of that latter approach that happened. It was just sort of like, okay, we're going to do this, and then always trying to catch up with ourselves to get it done. It's an incredible accomplishment, and you faced some difficult terrain, some challenging weather just coming from the West Coast in June and and had some really striking experiences. One of the things that stood out to me was your portrayal of Nevada and Kansas, which you know, when I talk to people about the ADT, a lot, a lot of the feedback I get is like, "Wait, you're you're going to go across Kansas? What, what are you? What, Nevada? What are you doing?" But your book made me really get very excited about those places. What do you recall about those two states in particular that made them such positive experiences on your scouting trip? Okay, well, Nevada, and this is somebody who had been a lot of time in California, Nevada was just a complete surprise to me, and I think most people think it's just going to be this faceless sagebrush desert that, you know, goes on and on and on, and it turns out that Nevada has something like 300 mountain ranges in it, (laughs) and some of them are huge. You know, there are, in, in central Nevada, there are these three mountain ranges, all of which go over 10,000 feet. And so the the scenery was, you know, was spectacular. And you go up into these mountain ranges, and you start in the sagebrush desert, and there'll be a stream coming out of the mountain because there's always water in the mountains. And you'll go up, and there'll be trees. You'll go through an aspen belt, and then you'll go through a uh, pine or fir forest belt. And if they're big enough, then you actually go to an alpine zone. So it was just spectacular. And the solitude in Nevada was was really neat. I mean, just the three of us, we could go for a week with, without seeing anybody, which is pretty cool. These people, Ken and Marsha Powers, who had, they had already done the Triple Crown when they hiked the ADT, and they say that to them, the um, stretch of the American Discovery Trail heading west from Colorado through Utah and Nevada is just the wildest, most spectacular trail in the in the country. So yeah, that's why Nevada was so great. That makes sense. That sounds uh, awesome. And I'm with you. I would have just imagined endless sagebrush. What about Kansas? The first thing about Kansas is we think of Kansas as being flat, and it's not really that flat, especially because the um, American Discovery Trail follows follows uh, the river through Kansas, which which they call the Arkansas River. 
um, <laughs> other people would call it would pronounce it Arkansas, but um, they they have their their pride in their way of saying it. And so when when you go along a river, rivers kind of make their own topography. So there is actually a lot more up and down than you than you'd ever um, expect. You got the big skies. The skies are um, you know horizon to horizon, and the, the clouds and things make make their own kind of scenery. I guess what was so neat for us about Kansas was um, we just started meeting lots of people. We were there in the winter, and the people who were organizing the committee made it so we could be hosted by, by lots of different folks. And just the people were so warm and friendly and wonderful that I think that the memory that sticks out the most about Kansas. Hmm. We're now almost 30 years removed from this scouting experience and I'm wondering, just beyond those two specific places that I brought up, how many miles were you scouting at that point? About 5,000? About 5,000, yeah. Yeah, about 5,000 miles spread out over 13 months. I mean, this is a, a huge stretch of time, a huge commitment of, of days and effort. And again, 30 years removed. Is there still, do you, can you, when you close your eyes, are there certain specific moments or places or people that stand out for you from this uh, adventure? Oh, oh, yes. Yeah, there certainly are some days. I mean, <laughs> I mean, <laughs> some of the days were, you're, you remember, because maybe they weren't that great at the time, but they were a great adventure later on. But like, you bit off more than you could chew, and you didn't get where you were going until, you know, well after dark. Or one time we never even got where we were going, and we ended up in... Um, Colorado Rockies, we ended up being hosted for the night by some um, cowboys that um, had a had a camp there and let us stay in their cabin. Yeah, some of the some of the people, um, in, in particular, there was a guy named Al Frost who was, gosh, he was seventy six years old at the time when he took us backpacking through the canyon country of Utah, and I don't think I'd ever seen the canyon country. At least, certainly not that close up, and it's just spectacular—the the red rocks and you know every shade of red you can imagine. And then this this guy Al Frost, who we thought, you know, man, seventy-six year old guy, what, what's it going to be like hiking with him? And he could he could out hike us, um, you know, on any day and fill fill us with stories about his lifetime of of you know growing up around the canyons. Yeah, those are those are a couple of the things. I mean, I can still remember when we were in uh, Lake Tahoe, going around Lake Tahoe on the Tahoe Rim Trail. I'm not sure the trail wasn't even complete at that point, but we just kind of stumbled into this encampment of people who were building the Tahoe Rim Trail, and they, you know, welcomed us in and said, "Here, why don't you why don't you have dinner with us?" and being in the Tahoe area, the guy who had organized the trip get, got donations from the um, from the casinos, and so they had this incredible spread of like beef stroganoff and other things that they were eating. And it was just <laughs> it was just so much fun to have that food, and then to, and then to have the camaraderie of all the um, people who were actually, you know, digging out, working on the trail that that American Discovery Trail would benefit from. It's already clear. It shows up in in every conversation I've had, this balancing of the spectacular natural scenery and the incredible hospitality as the two 
really consensus-defining elements of the American Discovery Trail. Yeah, I think I think that's right. And you know, and I think practically any journey you take, and even even like wilderness hikes, what people always say is what they remember the most are the people along the way. And you know, that's true in spades along the American Discovery Trail. So let's fast forward to today, thirty years. What's the status of the American Discovery Trail today? And if you reflect back on all of that energy when you were launching it, hitting the trail 30 years ago, has it caught on the way that you hoped for? Um, I would say it's probably not as well known and as well used as we kind of would have thought 30 years down the road. But it's there. There are people who set out on it every year. There are people who set out on parts of it you know, every year. I mean, they, there's not that many people who are going to say, gee, I'm going to take a year off and go hike across the country, but there's a lot more people who can say, I can take a couple weeks here and there and do and do parts of it. And that can be kind of a better way to do it anyway, because then you can pick out the um, best places where you want to be, um, you know, uh, during the different times of weather um, during the year. So we're still working on getting it more developed. Um, one, of the, one of the hard things about it is if you're trying to hike it is there are, aren't necessarily campsites, you know, everywhere, and you sort of have to improvise along the way, and sometimes people even ask if, you know, they can camp in people's yards, that sort of thing. But, you know, we're still kind of proud of um, how far along it has come. Absolutely. And as you said, there's this process of gradual growing recognition Still, when people think about long-distance treks in the U.S., their minds go quickly to the Appalachian Trail or the Pacific Crest Trail, and those are great walks. What does the American Discovery Trail offer that is distinct from those? Yeah, they're kind of very different animals, and the um, the other long-distance trails tend to just stay in the mountains. The American Discovery Trail just offers more variety. Ecologists have the concept of a transect in which you, you know, walk across a, a landscape and you watch as the ecosystems, the, the, the plants and the animals change, and you really get a huge idea of that for the whole country when you go on the American Discovery Trail. And one of the other biggest differences in, in the question of variety is when you go coast to coast and you don't have something like the Appalachian Mountains as an organizing principle, you have to decide, well, what do we do when, you know, do we avoid cities, do we avoid towns? And the, the planners of the ADT decided to em, embrace the towns and embrace cities. And, in fact, it, it's often easier to go straight through a city than it is to try to avoid it and stick through, uh, go through endless suburbs because lots of cities have greenways, you know, along the rivers that they're built along. So, yeah, it's, it's the variety. You get to see cities, you get to see small towns, and then there's the sense of history that comes with it that you you know you really can't escape from when you when you walk through and you see there's actually thousands of sites of interest along the way. Some of them you know historic, um, depending on you know which way you're going. I guess, I guess people these days are mostly hiking from east to west, and so you're sort of following the path of migration of of the pioneers. And, you know, once you get to the Midwest, you might see where the parts of the Oregon Trail or in Kansas, parts of the Santa Fe Trail. And so, you know, it really brings, it really brings the history to life. And that's another aspect of the American Discovery Trail that's different from other long-distance trails. 
everything that you've said articulates really well what draws me to the route. And I'm someone who has been walking long distance treks in Europe for a long time, but I've never been drawn to the Appalachian or PCT because I, I do like the variety and the ability to connect beautiful natural settings with human settlements, with cities and towns, and to experience those historical legacies in person. So I think it's a, it's an excellent design, and I, I think it really does complement what exists in the U.S. for for a reason. It really is a, an excellent addition. As you think about your leadership role on the ADT's executive committee, what are you working on? What are your priorities? You mentioned the issue of camp spaces along the way. What else are the top priorities for ADT leadership as we look through this year and next five or even 10 years? Well, one simple one is just getting the trail to be better known among the public. So people, you know, the, the more you know about it, the, the more it's known, the more people are going to use it and the more supporters you're going to get and the more you're going to be able to do. Another priority that's been part of it for a, a long time is that it, given the way we're giving the direction of travel of the ADT, it's on roads for, you know, a, a good part of its route. And uh, we've been working for all the while just trying to get more trails along the way, um, you know, as they open up. So we've done that. Just to make it, just to, another priority is just to make it easier for users. I, one, one example of that is in the, until now, our turn-by-turn trail directions have been written for going from east to west, and we've got a project going that we're going to get them a new set of directions to go west to east. We just had legislation passed by Congress and signed into law that um, tells the federal, federal land managers to um, allow the trail to be marked through their lands. And so that's you know going to be hundreds of miles of trails that are going to be having signs put up and that we need to work with them to see that that gets done. That's fantastic. Do you have any thoughts or plans to go walk the ADT again? You know, I, I have not seen the northern section um, through the Midwest, and I, it's actually a pretty good bike route, and I've been talking with one of my friends who bikes a lot about, well, we should go do that, and I just haven't quite figured out the logistics and the timing, but I would say that, yes, I'm definitely going to go do that within the, within the next couple of years. Awesome. Well, Eric, I appreciate you making the time to talk with me and to get to hear from you directly about your experiences in, in crafting this trail. And a lot of people have enjoyed it, and I think a whole lot more are going to be hitting it in the years ahead. And that's a, a pretty awesome legacy to have a contribution to make to the outdoors world and, and society and, and those interested in hiking and, and biking and walking all across the U.S. Well, thanks. Ken and Marsha Powers are prolific long-distance hikers. Uh, they completed the first through-hike of the American Discovery Trail in 2005, and they are, I recently discovered, actually members of the California Outdoors Hall of Fame. So congratulations for that, Ken and Marsha, and thanks for taking the time to talk with me. 
Thank you. Thanks. It's uh, it's awesome to have you here. It's great to speak with um, with legends of the American Discovery Trail. And as I said, you're both prolific long distance walkers. And so maybe to get things started, could you share a quick overview of your walking background, the kinds of routes that you've completed? Okay, I started by uh, I was a Boy Scout, and when my kids got old enough to be actually Cub Scouts and then Boy Scouts, I got involved with the Boy Scouts and went camping with them a lot. Mm-hmm. And so it, it kind of just evolved from there. You know, things were going, we were getting longer hikes and longer hikes. And then we just discovered this hike at the Mount Whitney where you could drive up to the kind of the base of it halfway up maybe, and, and mm-hmm. then you could walk up to the top of the mountain. And so we decided we were going to do that. And then we met these crazy people who were hiking the John Muir Trail from Mount Whitney to Yosemite. Yosemite. Mm-hmm. And so we said, oh, that looks like an interesting thing. Let's do that next summer. <laughs> but we'll have to take up backpacking to do that, is what Ken told me. Ah. I had never backpacked at all. So... I said, I'm willing to do that. So we hiked the next summer, the John Muir Trail with our backpacks. At this point, we had two sons in college. Mm-hmm. So we had lots of disposable time and no disposable money. <laughs> <laughs> so so as, we, as we hiked the John Muir Trail, we ran into these crazy people who were hiking the Pacific Crest Trail and that kind of <laughs> Piqued our interest in that one. So then with the Pacific Crest Trail, the Continental Divide Trail, and the Appalachian Trail, we had the triple crown of hiking. We'd hiked 22 states and approximately 8,000 miles. Hmm. And that was over over four years, I think. Four years, one each summer. It took one summer between the... Pacific Crest Trail, our first trail, and the Continental Divide Trail, our second one. Mm-hmm. There was a gap of one year in there because it took that long to forget how hard it was to do a long <laughs> trail. <laughs> and, and we were also we are also both grew up in uh, states along the Continental Divide Trail, and and we didn't really know what we were getting into, so we did a lot of driving up along that mm. in the the year in between. Gotcha. So after we finished those, then I don't remember how we heard of the American Discovery Trail. I remember how Eric <laughs> Seaborg, the current president, and his wife, Ellen Dudley, scoped out the American Discovery Trail route. They were paid by Backpacker Magazine, I think. Mm-hmm. And they wrote a book called American Discoveries. And mm-hmm. I think everybody should read the Seaborn Bedley book of American Discoveries. So when we were on the Appalachian Trail, we were aware of where the American Discovery Trail crossed the AT. In Harper's Ferry, right? right. That's exactly right. Yeah and a little bit of the CNO canal. Mm-hmm. So we just thought connecting all three routes together, <laughs> long trails would be a great idea. <laughs> Makes perfect sense. <laughs> yeah, yeah, doesn't it? <laughs> so the idea that it hadn't been through hike yet, we were aware of that. Mm-hmm. But we thought that 
our hiking history and our skill set with lots of varied terrain and different states that we could probably use what we'd learned on the other states and apply it to the American Discovery Trail. So your story started off with like, we ran into one crazy person and then we ran into the next crazy person and they, they roped you in and and suddenly, suddenly you were the crazy people. That's right. right. (laughs) What, what is it about long distance walking for you that has continued to pull you back into these expeditions? Oh, I love camping. I love sleeping outdoors in my tent or cowboy camping. I love gear. I love the simple lifestyle. Hmm. I love nature. Seeing the different areas of the country is, uh, I think, a big part of it for me. And the exercise, you know, just getting out and walking that much. Mm-hmm. And we've met a lot of people doing it. First of all, we met a lot of hikers on the trails, trails but on the American Discovery Trail, we met lots of just normal people, (laughs) farmers farmers and, uh, you know, just great people. Mm -hmm. I have to tell you that a long distance trail you prepare for, but you never know what's going to happen. Mm -hmm. So there's puzzle solving involved. Mm -hmm. You have to, if something's not working, you have to figure out a way to make it work. And we both like puzzle solving. (laughs) We both like the adventure. We both like navigation. Yeah. What's the perfect day on a long distance walk like or a long distance hike? Like what what are the elements when you're when you're really in a good mood, when you're feeling positive? What's happening? Oh, that's a great question. We (laughs) get up when we hear the birds. So Mm. the sun's not up yet, but the birds are are cheeping. Mm. So we get up in in the dim dawn and pack up and in 30 minutes that probably the time span is we're packed with our packs on mm-hmm. and we're walking along and we're eating in the old days that used to be pop tarts. Now we've tried to <laughs> clean up our diet. A little bit. Uh, <laughs> and it's just walking along and seeing what's happening over the course of the day. We stop about 20 minutes for lunch and then keep on hiking. Four o'clock is the highlight. We have what we call tea time. <laughs> which is Gator <laughs> Aid at half strength, you know, an mm-hmm. electrolyte drink. Yeah. And, oh, my gosh, the biggest Snickers that we can find. <laughs> and that powers <laughs> that, sugar, sugar hit. Yeah. And that powers us to about 8 o'clock, and we like to have our tent up. At dusk. At dusk, so we're slipping in our, our sleeping bags, you know, just sort of as the sun goes down. Uh, one of the best parts of hiking is that we don't have chores or the chores are really <laughs> simple. To, <laughs> you know, to make your bed, you just stuff it in a bag and put it in your backpack. And to uh, vacuum your tent, you just shake it out before you fold it up. Yeah. You know, life is really easy. And the rest of the time is spent walking along, talking to whoever comes along, stopping to take pictures. Mm-hmm. Our first a hike, our first long hike, we had one camera between the two of us, and we decided that was one camera <laughs> not enough. <laughs> so ever since, we, <laughs> we have carried two cameras, <laughs> and taking pictures is part of the fun then, too. Mm-hmm. Well, let's zoom in then on the American Discovery Trail itself, and I definitely am excited to learn more from the two of you a bit about your specific experiences. And 
I kind of want to go back to the very beginning of it, back to Cape Enlope and your starting point on the American Discovery Trail. And I'm trying to wrap my mind around this as as I get ready. You know, you had eight months or so of nonstop walking in front of you. As you were getting ready to take those first steps, can you remember what was going through your mind as you approached the beginning of this 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 massive adventure? Yes, we were standing in the ocean, and my feet were wet, and it was cold. <laughs> <laughs> and he said, go, go, go. <laughs> we had a newspaper interview lined up, mm-hmm. and he came and interviewed us while we were standing there in the water. So, you know, <laughs> we went through that, too. One thing in our mind, we had gotten an email from somebody that lived near Delaware, and they said, quote, I cannot tell you enough how flat Delaware is. <laughs> <laughs> so that was that was urging us on. You know, we were mm-hmm. going to gobble up a, an easy flat state. Yeah. But I have to say, we knew from our other long trails that you don't look to the end of the state Mm. or the end of the trek, you just look sort of to the end of the day. you just small points along the way. If you think of 5,000 miles, it's so overwhelming that you can't even imagine it. Mm-hmm. And, and I think that the challenge of doing the ADT, because nobody had ever done it in one trip, mm-hmm. that was a big challenge to us. You know, one other thing that made us, you know, was impetus for us to keep going um, that echoed through my mind for eight months and almost 5,000 miles was when we were scoping out Nevada Hmm. and trying to figure out where the trail would be going through there and caching water, bearing, actually bearing jugs of water. There was somebody there that had listened to what we planned to do. Mm -hmm. And she said, I hate to rain on your parade, but you can't do it. <laughs> and, that, <laughs> and that was, I heard that in my mind every time that the going got tough. I hate to rain on your parade. <laughs> oh, well, I'll, I'll pull this together. <laughs> yeah, I'll rain on your parade. so just one little comment like that will will sort of help you along your way too but actually we weren't looking towards the end of the trail we were just looking maybe towards the end of the day and then towards the end of delaware the second day we wanted to cross into the second state so it was just minor increments Mm -hmm. you know rather than at looking looking at the whole thing at once. When we were planning it, I built this huge spreadsheet that built from their turn by turn, basically, that had the mileage from point A to point B and from B to C. Mm-hmm. And I put it all in a big spreadsheet and said, okay, well, if we walk three miles an hour, how, how long is it going to take us to get <laughs> across the United States? <laughs> And and I knew that their mileages weren't that accurate, mm-hmm. and there were places where the the trail didn't go where they said it was going. So you know that kind of stuff threw into it. But we had, we kind of laid it out and, and said, okay, well we need to make this many miles every mm-hmm. day. And Delaware's flat; it was easy. Yep. So we got the miles there. We <laughs> fell behind in Kansas. 
because we talked so much to all the people that hmm. stopped. We were on roads there. Gotcha. So we spent lots of time chatting. You mentioned the cold, Ken, at the beginning, and that's one of the challenges of through hiking the ADT is that it's it's really hard to have the weather cooperate all the way through, and you have to kind of compromise and accept imperfection in a number of areas. So you had Delaware in late February and West Virginia in March, where you ran into some serious snow. What was what was what was that like passing through there? And and what's your advice to other through hikers for how they manage these weather challenges on the ADT? Let me talk about West Virginia because that was interesting. <laughs> to us. Uh, the first, I don't know, three or four days, I don't know how far it is. It's just flat and walking along the bottom of this mountain range, basically, mm-hmm. or near it. And then we went up the hill, up the mountains, and we got, we did, just barely got started and we were running in the snow. And it was like, oh, great. Mm-hmm. By the time we got up to the top of the ridge, there was, probably four to six inches of snow everywhere. Hmm. And the only only track that was in it was some animals, deer probably, that had gone down the road. Oh, man. And so we, we got there late at night. We got, basically, we camped at the top of the ridge when we first got to the top of the ridge. We just pitched our tent in the snow and, and slept there. Well, actually, so we found a place where the snow had been blown away. Oh, that's right. So <laughs> we didn't put our tent actually in the snow, but it was just a bare spot in the midst of the snow. Mm. And then then the next day, we just walked down the, the ridge. It's a roadway all the way down, but it had four snow. inches of snow all the way. Mm-hmm. And we got down got down to where the trail leaves it and starts off into the forest. And I looked at it and I said, no, we're, <laughs> we're not doing that. <laughs> so we, we picked up at that point, we picked up two tracks of, of a motor vehicle. Snowmobile, That's probably. So we followed the snowmobile track, hmm. which may not. Which is, it was following the road. We were going down the road, but we had this track to follow. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But, In spite of that, we had done snow on both the Continental Divide Trail and the Pacific Crest Trail at high elevations, like at 12,000 feet. Mm -hmm. So we didn't have the cold, high elevation to deal with. So we were sort of comfortable with snow travel and felt that as long as we could find some place to put our tent that was not right on the snow that we would sleep fairly warm. Mm-hmm. When you're in snow like that, you just want to keep moving. That's mm. when one reason why you want to walk all day, yeah. just for warmth. Do you have any other advice for, for walkers thinking about this through hiking process and where where you need to be really careful with hitting the weather along the way? No, no matter when you start or where you're going, you're always <laughs> going to get <laughs> challenging weather. <laughs> you that just is, have to deal. When people, yeah, when people say to us, "What's the hardest part of hiking?" We all—that's our answer. The hardest part really is the weather and dealing with the weather. And the best thing is layering up your clothes. Mm-hmm. And I think a poncho over myself and my pack at the same time is just a warm air, a bubble, no matter what. Mm. what the temperatures are that just to me is warmth 
And then to go from that warm bubble with a poncho into my tent and into my sleeping bag. And there again, layer up. You know, we have our thermals that we sleep in. But there have been nights when I've gone to bed with my down jacket (laughs) on inside my down sleeping bag. But layers are a big thing to remember, and it doesn't take all that many layers. Mm -hmm. I don't know. And I've thought about this a lot. Would it be possible for hikers to start later Mm -hmm. than the 1st of March and hike bigger mile days? Mm -hmm. I know because they're going to if they do that, they're going to hit the Sierras in California. And that's a whole lot worse than the Appalachians. So the pivotal points are the mileage hitting the Rockies. Mm -hmm. And we we timed the Rockies for the 4th of July. You don't want to be there earlier than the 4th of July. And you want to be out of the Sierra by September. Mm. So if you just do your math and know how fast you can hike and how many hours a day you can hike, then you can you can adjust your leaving time for better weather. So if you're willing to do 30 miles a day instead of 20 miles a day, uh, you can do the math and see if you could leave Delaware maybe the end of April, which is 60 days later, mm-hmm. but really, really <laughs> zoom along and hit the <laughs> yep. rate. Yeah. And then on the other side of the Rockies, you have Utah and Nevada, which you don't want to hit in the middle of summer because the heat's going to be vicious. Did. And you did. <laughs> so, and, and I don't think that you can actually avoid that, though. Yeah. I took the turn by turn and put it into a big Excel spreadsheet. And our original plan was to start in California and go east. My original plan was. Mm-hmm. And when I when I looked at the weather, it just didn't work. Yeah. The start dates. And, the start yeah. dates just didn't work. So I flipped the, the spreadsheet around and we started on the other end. And, and we could, you know, we knew there were going to be some hard places like starting in Delaware that early. But. If we didn't do that, we were going to have a lot of snow in California pretty early. Mm-hmm. Here's another thing to be aware of. If you're hiking in the heat, and certainly Kansas was incredibly warm, hmm. you know, that sticks in my mind as being a hotter state than either Utah or Nevada, just because no. that's what sticks in my mind. <laughs> but but it takes I, just two or three weeks for changes your body on the mitochondrial level to to adapt to heat. Hmm. So you your body handles the heat better. And I don't remember saying we knew it was hot mm-hmm. in Utah and Nevada, but it wasn't it wasn't killer hot. It wasn't trek ruining heat. Part of that is where I grew up was in southern Idaho, which was just across the border from Nevada hmm. and not far from Utah. So I you know, I had some idea of what the weather was gonna be like out there. Gotcha. And plus, we've done some, some other hiking out there. Well, I want you to talk a little bit more about it then, because those are the two states that are kind of spooking me out a little bit as I prepare and try to think in particular about how to manage water along the ADT. Because what I see is that a lot of people there opt out of the ADT and end up following the road, getting a, a, a stroller essentially to carry gallons of water with them. But but you stuck with the ADT. How did you approach that? We went out a year earlier. This, exactly this, a year, year earlier. And 
I had looked on the maps and I was, had an idea of how far we could go each day. And mm-hmm. we buried two to three gallons of water every 20, 20 miles. miles. <laughs> That's amazing. Here's the cool thing. In the mountains in both Utah and Nevada, there's, there's groundwater there. Mm-hmm. So the water is there. And I actually thought had we been even better map readers, we would have found more surface water, more streams or maybe springs than we were aware of. We saw some of those, you know, when we were on those two-track roads, you can just sort of bounce along, you know, and that's what you're hiking a lot of times on the ADT in mm-hmm. the back country there. And you can just see, you learn to see green, and that green means, it means water. Mm-hmm. And then we said it's been 20 miles since we saw water, say surface water, bury a couple of gallons. And I have to tell you also, before we used those water jugs, we took that brand with a screw lid rather than the rip-off pop top. Mm -hmm. And I froze it and thawed it and froze and thawed it. Um, many times to see if it would be secure for all weather types. Mm. And so I had thought about that, and we actually buried it and dug it up. You know, it was just maybe a couple of inches under this loose, dusty dirt, so we could just brush the top off Mm -hmm. and then pull the jugs out. However, we used a stick and denoted one buried cache as R.I.P. Fluffy, <laughs> like we had buried <laughs> buried our pet there, and that was the only one that was dug up and disturbed. So don't name your water caches for dead oh, man. <laughs> so I don't know what happened there, but that was that was a sad, scary event when that water had been disturbed. So we had an idea of what the terrain was like, the heat was like where the natural water sources were, Mm -hmm. and we knew where our water sources were. A lot of that was easy hiking. Mm -hmm. You know, you're worried about the heat. You're worried about water. Mm -hmm. But it's flat, flat, easy terrain, which, you know, you can just zoom along. Great. And I'm a sucker for easy hiking, too. So we've talked about a few different landing spots, but thinking about the ADT as a whole... If you could go back right now and rewalk the ADT through one or two states on the route, just right now, head out, where would you go? Which state would draw you back the quickest? I would do the northern route because we didn't do that. <laughs> that's kind but of that, cheating. <laughs> <laughs> that makes sense because that's unknown. But he said before he liked Maryland because we hadn't ever hiked in Maryland before. Mm-hmm. And California was really a kick because we were really psyched. We'd hiked a lot in California, but never westbound like that. So we were just zooming along and we were just... We we actually had some friends meet us in... Sacramento. Sacramento. On the bike trail. On the bike trail. So that was fun. And by that time, strangers were aware that we were walking. So Hmm. we got a lot of encouragement from... Found signs along the go, gotta walk. (laughs) (laughs) So that was that was a lot of fun. So Ken thought, but I would. This is a shocker, but I would go back in a heartbeat and do Utah and Nevada again. (laughs) 
I just think it was it was terrifically fun hiking in both of the states because of the flat parts that I said. <laughs> but in Nevada, in the basin and range, you hike a flat day across the basin and then spend the next day hiking up and over a mountain. Mm-hmm. And I thought that was just a lot of fun to mix the hiking up like that, you know, day after day, one and then the other. That was fun. And also in Utah, Nevada, we saw oh, bighorn sheep, a huge herd. Hmm. We saw the pronghorn. Um, we saw herds of deer, deer herds. Yeah, wild, wild horses. Mm-hmm. It was, yeah, so the backcountry experience was is just stellar there. Yeah. You know, as you talk about walking and the, the joy that you experience on long-distance hikes comes through, you talk about the birds chirping in the morning, about camping, about backcountry, about all of these, these different things that you enjoy. And you don't talk about cities or any urban element at all. And, and that's really a, a distinctive feature of the ADT relative to some of the other long-distance famous walks in America, like the PCT, which were more of your background. So what's the urban experience for you like on the ADT? And is there anything that stands out to you from, from that part of the walk? Food. <laughs> better, better food opportunities. Yes, and we did do that a lot. But, but walking through an urban area is really difficult. There's no no place for a pit stop, mm-hmm. you know, unless you're at a gas station or something like that. And there are absolutely no campsites. Hmm. So you have to find a motel. Mm-hmm. So I think towns are actually harder. And to me, walking on a city street with a smooth sidewalk, you know, and just block after block after block mm-hmm. of stop lights, and and stores and buildings that gets sort of monotonous to me mm. as um, opposed to the sagebrush <laughs> i know <laughs> well there's that cement is just painful i mean and it, it feels hotter than when you're you're outside of the city it sure does what did people think of you as you were passing through these cities were they were they curious were they kind of put off by your presence like what kinds of reactions did you get some people obviously thought we were transients, but I have to tell you, so we walked around our town a lot wearing our backpacks. Mm-hmm. So we turned into town characters in our <laughs> own town. <laughs> and people were saying, oh, there go Ken and Marcia again. They're probably going to do something again. <laughs> so it was from town characters to, in some places, people thought we were transients. They really thought that we were hobos or mm-hmm just homeless people, and then other people were really curious mm-hmm. and would say, well, we'd say, talk to them briefly and then say, well, we need to keep moving. And they'd say, wait, wait, we're not finished. We don't have all our answers. How about <laughs> if I pick you up and take you to my house for dinner tonight so we can talk some more and then I'll bring you back to wherever I found you. <laughs> that happened quite a fair number of times in the Midwest. It's uncanny to me reading your journal just how many times strangers say, hey, come stay with me. Yeah. Yeah. And I have to say, we never had a scary person encounter. Mm-hmm. You know, we were never feared for our lives. We never thought that we were going to be mugged or held up or it just didn't happen. Mm-hmm. 
you know, and I don't think of us as being savvy city people. <laughs> it's called the American Discovery Trail. So that word discovery is in there. I think the idea is that people follow this route and they discover a lot about America. So I'm wondering, what did you discover? What did you learn about America on the ADT? The amazing thing was that we were following the expansion west. American Discovery Trail has set that up very carefully. We went over um, the Appalachians near the Cumberland Gap. We followed the wagon, wagon trains. We, we walked on the Pony Express Trail. It was our history from school that we were living. It mm. was really exciting. We were aware of that through the gold fields in California and Nevada. In Kansas, um, we saw the northernmost spot where Coronado came up looking for gold. Hmm. And we saw lots and lots of old cavalry forts in Kansas and Colorado. So the history was really exciting. Of course, we enjoyed the ecology and just the geography. But the bottom line is... America is full of warm-hearted, caring, encompassing people. Hmm. You know, just every state had nice people. I have to tell you that one of the first places where we stayed overnight, it was in Ohio, and we were walking down this road, and we needed water, so we stopped at this house and got water, and it was getting pretty late in the day, and somehow the topic came up and we were going to camp out in their backyard and then when she found out what we were doing she says well are you going through colorado yeah <laughs> well i have another house in colorado <laughs> you go through cripple spring through cripple creek cripple creek and we said yeah we do and she says okay i've got somebody that takes care of my house here's his phone number i'll tell him that you're coming and, you know, wow. months away. <laughs> it took months to get there. And, and so we, we stayed in her house. Yeah. We have to say that this discussion happened over her dining room table because she invited us to eat dinner with her that night, the night that we asked for water and to camp in her grass yeah. yard. So it's amazing what falls into. The serendipity of hiking is really wonderful, but you can't beat the people. It, they are just wonderful. You've already touched on on this uh, a couple of times, but you know, just looking at all of the resources that you've put online, you know, for anyone who hasn't found your website gotawalk.com or your account of your time on the ADT on trailjournals.com, uh, it, it's a tremendous resource for walkers and your disciplined, thoughtful approach to planning and preparation shines through. I mean, it just shines through in, in everything that you've said about your preparation for the ADT. What are some other important aspects for people to think about as they prepare for a long-distance hike of this type? One thing that we didn't put in our journal is that you need to plan your trip for how you would like to remember it in the future. Hmm. You need to have your own rules or your own guidelines or your own parameters of how you want your adventure and your trek to be? What are your goals? And I think people need to think about that before they ever set foot on the trail. Mm -hmm. Like, is it really important for you to finish? Hmm. If so, you mentioned one thing yourself, the joggers on Highway 50 with water in them versus mm -hmm. the real 
ADT in the back country. Yeah. So 10 years from now, would you be disappointed had you opted for Highway 50 and you missed out seeing the back country of Utah? Mm. You know, those are the sorts of things. And there's not a right or wrong answer. It is just what's your own personal goal mm-hmm. or what are your personal rules? One of the things I'm also interested in, it, just looking through a lot of the journals for people who've walked the ADT, there's a lot of, of people walking in pairs, which makes sense. It's a it's a long way and a long time to be alone. But the two of you obviously have this great partnership in life and then also on the trail. What advice do you have about making a partnership work when you are just walking together for weeks and weeks and weeks? And we don't end up divorced. That's yes, the trail. that's important. <laughs> okay. You know, we discovered early on on the Pacific Crest Trail, you don't want to do anything to alienate the only person in the woods with you. <laughs> You know, there's that would be 100% of the people would be mad at you and you don't want to do that. Yeah. So I think that you have to let little irritants slide by without any comment, but you need lots of conversation about how you expect this day, this next three miles, this whole trail, how you expect that to play out. Mm. And I think the other person is good at listening too. <laughs> Ken, what would you add? There's a lot of planning that goes into it, but you can't plan for everything. You've got to be able to adapt. And you oh, know that means true. both of you have to work together on a lot of that stuff. Hmm. That was a good comment that you said, that for any long trail, you plan, plan, plan. You nail down as much as you can all the details of food, more shoes, where you're <laughs> going to stay, you know, just everything. But in reality, when you're hiking along, you have to be able to change that on a mm. moment's notice. We ran out of water in, in Wyoming one time, so we walked cross-country to the road, hitched into town, got lots of water, hitched back out of town the <laughs> wrong direction, you know, and then and then got back on the trail with our water and then it continued our hike into town like we originally intended it to be. <laughs> that is commitment. Well, let's end with, with this. You two were the first walkers to through hike the ADT. What does that mean to you? I just think it was a great accomplishment, and uh, we're proud of it. I don't see that it means a whole lot more than that to us. <laughs> I think it was a great adventure. It's fun. Not a single day goes by that I don't think that we think about or talk about some aspect of it. And I'm grateful that we have each other and that we have the health and the the interest. How odd is it that the two of us married each other and we both wanted to do something crazy like walk across the country? It's awesome. Uh, I think that's a place for gratitude, you know, or realizing again the serendipity of of how how neither one of us were really hikers when we got married either yeah you said this all really took off after the the kids were already in college so mid 40s 50s like it it wasn't something that you just automatically did it's amazing yeah so mount whitney was for my 50th birthday wow so it all happened after my 50th birthday and then ken is three years older than i am 
That's amazing. And that's another thing. It's it's amazing that Ken was able to take early retirement. Mm-hmm. And, you know, so we started this being younger than the standard retirees. Mm. Well, you know, kudos to you both. You're, uh, I think, an inspiration to a lot of us discovering your journals online and, and benefiting from all of the information that you've put out there and, and made so accessible. It, it And the, the tone that you strike in your writing, it is... The, the the joy comes through clearly and the fact that it's it's hard but it's it's manageable and and you you stay upbeat all the way through um it's really cool to have out there so thank you for that thank you, thank you. and thank you for giving us the opportunity to talk to you That's it for episode one of the Sea to Shining Sea podcast. But beginning around late October, you can look forward to new episodes. The podcast will have a mix of different elements. Some episodes will be focused on travel tales from ADT vets, and others will focus state by state along the route with specific info about what one is likely to encounter and experience along the way. Many thanks to Donna and Peter and Sharon, who've already spoken with me. And thanks as well for their patience with the production process. It has dragged on longer than I would have liked, but their interviews are great, and you can really look forward to those in the months ahead. If you're listening and you have a connection to the ADT, and you'd like to be involved in one of these episodes, please get in touch. I'd love to speak with you as well. And in the meantime, if you'd like to follow my hike on the American Discovery Trail, you can find me at DaveWitson.com. W-H-I-T-S-O-N. There are links to Instagram, YouTube, the blog, and we'll see what I churn out. I am aspiring to do a lot of different things, but, uh, you know, everyone has a plan until you walk 30 miles. That's all for now. Thanks again to Eric Seaborg. Check out the book he co-authored with Ellen Dudley, American Discoveries, available through the ADT's site at discoverytrail.org. And thanks to Ken and Marsha as well. You can find all of their invaluable resources at gotawalk.com. And thanks to you for listening. I look forward to speaking with you in the months ahead.